This show is proudly sponsored by Coinspot.com.au, with the largest range of cryptocurrencies anywhere in the Australian market. With an updated verification process, you can now be verified using only your driver's license or passport within seconds. You can instantly deposit funds and instantly start buying and selling your favorite cryptocurrencies in under five minutes. Coinspot are giving away $10 worth of free Bitcoin for each verified user once they make their first deposit. Just go to coinspot.com.au forward slash BTC123. The Trader Cobb Crypto Show, talking business in blockchain. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TraderCobb Crypto Show. Today's guest is an absolute big dog in the Middle East, a serial entrepreneur from a very, very young age. This gentleman that I'm speaking with has been dropped out of three different universities, founded a media company at the age of 19, and has done a huge amount since then. We've got Danish Farham, who's the CEO at Zeekshay Holdings and Zeekshay & Co. Thank you so much for your time today, Danish. A pleasure. Thank you so much for the very elaborate introduction. <laughs> oh, I didn't think it was all that elaborate at all, to be honest with you. I mean, you've gone through and done an awful lot in uh, your years preceding you. So where are you up to and uh, what's brought you here? Tell us a little bit about yourself, Danish. In a nutshell, I was um, I was born in Libya, of all places, and raised in Dubai. So I've had the unique privilege of watching this fascinating nation turned 46 years old wow. um, this year, or 47 this year. And a lot of, I think, my decision-making in establishing the business maybe 20 years ago was driven very much by the spirit of the city, you know, a, a, a tiny little desert um, town that has transformed into a global hub for business and, 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 and connection. And I think our business has followed the trajectory of, of Dubai as a city. Um, and so while we started off as a digitally-focused firm, we quickly evolved into storytellers and then into, into strategy builders. And today we invest in ventures, you know, a variety of them, everything from blockchain to, to fashion and retail. And that's given us a really unique perspective of being real players with skin in the game rather than people pitching theory in the Middle East. Well, I think it's fantastic if you can have the same sort of growth that Dubai has had as a city. I mean, you pitch your success off the success of the city, then, geez, I think most businesses out there would uh, would love to share in that sort of uh, rise. It's pretty much J-curved in Dubai. I was there recently. Unfortunately, I didn't get to catch up with you there, Danish, but um, what a city, what a place, and what a vision. Uh, truly, probably the most visionary of places in the world when you actually look at what's going on there. So you're in a melting pot of amazing things going on and a very open government. Um, do you want to touch a little bit on that? Because I do know that you do work with uh, Dubai Culture, the UAE Mars mission, and a whole lot of stuff at like the Prime Minister's office as well. So can you just tell us a little bit about mm -hmm. the vision within the UAE and Dubai in particular? Sure. I'm, I'm happy to do that. So I've already told you that we're nearly 46 years old or mm. nearly 47 years Can't old. I believe that. But the other thing that may or may not surprise you is that Dubai ran out of oil in 1991. Right. And so when people go out and say, well, you know, it's the oil wealth that has allowed Dubai to become the shiny capital of the new world. And I always correct them and say, no, it's actually entrepreneurial spirit and, and real guts to be experimental and try, to dare, try and dare to go where others have not. And this is a story that is relatively unknown. And so Dubai has built its success on the back of becoming a hub 
So the creek that is not today the gateway of most of the cargo sort of sea transport traffic mm-hmm. was artificially built. So the entire wealth of the nation back in the in the late 50s was was used to build a creek which would allow ships to dock and for the trading to become commonplace, which then led to the thinking of, you know, let's build an airport. And then the the current ruler of Dubai, who in those days was was the crown prince, said, well, we've got this fantastic airport, but we've got nobody coming in. So he leases two aircrafts from Pakistan International Airways and finds this gentleman um, off um, Heathrow and says, would you build me an airline because I want people to come through Dubai? You know, 65 million passengers a year today, and that's in less than, you know, that was since 1985 that the airline was established. So I think Dubai has continued to build its own ecosystem rather than rely on others to do it for, for them. If you look at how technology has progressed, 1999, mm. and that's four or five years after the internet first entered commonplace access here in, in, the, in the UAE, we already had something called the e-government, where there was a mandate, it was a government mandate to, to start digitizing government processes in a way that created real efficiencies. And then you fast forward a few more years, everything was connected to the point where services were being awarded for excellence based on the efficiency driven digitally. Fast forward a few more years, and you realize they've launched something called the Dubai Future Accelerators, which says instead of theoretically looking at all these startups around the world and what they could do to, to help humanity in the next 20 or 30 years, let's look at real challenges in the city today that are based by government entities. Let's open it up to startups as well as growth stage capital sort of stage uh, uh, firms and say, come on in and help us solve our city's problems. If you manage to do that within the Future Accelerators cohort over the course of three months, then you actually get a government client to deploy your product or service. That's how we attracted the Hyperloop. That's how we attracted sort of Consensus, uh, which has now become a big player. I mean, Consensus was one of these startups that was playing within the accelerator space and then has grown to what it is today. I mean, look at the success story of something like that that came out of Dubai government saying, let's experiment. It's really quite amazing, and thank you for sharing that, mate. I, I had no idea of that that um, that grind. I suppose. I mean, it, that's a word that is definitely used these days. Is becoming an entrepreneur is now cool. Um, when it wasn't yes. back in the day, it was kind of that you were a dropout, <laughs> you were a loser, you should be getting a job, you should be going to university. Believe me, I've been through all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Thankfully, I had parents that were supportive of what I wanted to do. But um, look, the other thing I think is really fascinating about Dubai, aside from the you know amazing, well, not aside from, I suppose bolted onto, is I mean, I was there recently, as I just well, sort of mentioned. It's the yes. it's the fascination yes. with blockchain. Now, of course. It's the perfect country to really mm-hmm. step up and be a world leader because you're so forward thinking. You're in the right place at the right time. You make things happen. And there is the ability to be quite nimble. Can you tell us about what blockchain means to Dubai and what's going on in the space currently. I tend to refer to Dubai as a startup state. Hmm. And this is a terminology that, that I've used over the last year to try and anchor that the big solutions in the world today are going to be offered by tiny little players creating global impact. And it's not going to be the incumbents, not going to be the China's and the United States and the EU zones. Mm. change. It's it's nimble, tiny, you know, poor, which is 57 years old, Dubai, that's um, a stone old. And so we call them the startup states. These startup states are like blockchain to radically solve problems, not just for themselves, but to create a blueprint for other nations to see how the political framework that we do, you could make this work. 
Dubai being the political structure that it is, you have this thing that allows them to chase after their target and really accomplish it. And I think that's where the Blockchain Council sort of this really interesting direction, which was as a government, what blockchain can do if we were to adopt by mandate. And Dubai can do this. We've got we've got 57 government entities and all of them are are, are sort of run under a govern a governance structure. And so you could very easily say we've got some KPIs and targets and you need to be able to take X percentages X percentage of your services and go digital or go mobile or go social. And so the same approach was taken with blockchain. And let me tell you a little bit about the blockchain strategy. I think this is an interesting story if you haven't heard it, mm-hmm. and, and perhaps the listeners may or may not. All right, so I, let me tell you a little bit about the Dubai blockchain strategy that came as a result of all of these stakeholders coming together and, and saying, let us look at one use case in the government of Dubai, and let's find a way to build on that to create a compelling argument to deploy blockchain. And so we realized in our study that families in Dubai alone, not the UAE, generate over 100 million government documents each year. This is paper documentation. And this is on the basis of nine transactions per household. So everything from a driver's license to your tenancy agreement to your employment contract to your Emirates ID. I mean, nine times a year, you've got to submit this in some form or another to the government. This is just the government. If you try and tally the number of kilometers people need to drive to physically submit this, that's over (laughs) 411 million kilometers on the road every single year in Dubai. Wow. And that's 25 million hours of lost productivity. Not to mention and so we said, well, right. on top of it. The, Absolutely. Uh, the Absolutely. So look at the carbon emissions on that. Look at the traffic. Look at the stress. We realized that if you apply blockchain to just this use case to try and eradicate the use of paper documentation, which the government has already um, uh, captured from you in some at some point in the in the past, um, that's over 5.5 billion dirhams a year. That's approximate. That's over a billion dollars a year. Wow. And just so that that visual is clear in your head, we said that is roughly the cost of building the Burj Khalifa every single year <laughs> in paper documentation for the government. Wow, it's really nice to hear numbers being used in a way that is not bamboozling. Do you know what I mean? Like a lot, a, a lot in blockchain is about, oh yeah, here's the code, here's the numbers, blah blah blah. But but that you, yeah. you've you've made that real. That's a real effect to people's lives. Uh, it's a real effect to your yeah. economy, and it's a real effect on the drain of time. I and mean, look, we can all make more money. We we can't make more time. So it's I mean, I it seems that. like a complete a complete no brainer to be investing mm-hmm. in the space. So sorry. As you were, <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> Not at all. I love, I love the, I love the way you put it there. I think, I think what we do as at Zishay, and and this is one of our core strengths, is that we work with the government to create initiatives that will have the popular appeal and compel the right players to want to be a part of this, rather than be mandated to be a part of this. And so that's the power of storytelling. If you make this real, then people will sit up and listen. And Dubai has consistently made things real. Have you, if you've heard of Emirates Airline, it's a real experience. If you've heard of Favorite the Burj Khalifa, it's a real experience. Absolutely. And so, therefore, Dubai has always had that ability to create a story. And, and we've been really privileged to have played a role, a tiny little role, in so many of these stories over the course of the last two decades. And the blockchain story is yet another wonderful narrative that allows people to, to want to be a part of this. So let's, let's, let's look at the, 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 the global landscape. So if you, if you, if you think about it, there were... There were 117 blockchain initiatives um, globally 
across 25 countries in 2016, according to the OECD. Mm -hmm. Today, there's over 200 of them in 45 countries. In Dubai alone, we have 22 pilot blockchain projects that are funded by the government. This is really, really interesting because of how progressive it is. Mm. Um, and there's a date. We have a date. By the end of 2020, we are meant to be on the blockchain. Literally, 100% of all transactions that can be on the blockchain need to be on the blockchain by 2020. That's around the corner. And so we realize unless we make the impact happen at such a grand scale, there is no way for us to really, truly understand whether this is the right thing to do. Because if you say, well, yes, let's take 2% of government databases and convert them to blockchain, how will you ever really tell what the impact was? And so this is a, a, another wonderful sort of methodology that the governments um, in Dubai and the UAE tend to, to deploy when creating this massive change. You were talking about how you made it, how, how sort of, once you make the conversation around blockchain easy to understand, yes. people start to say, what is the role that I can play? How can I capitalize on it? And everybody today is talking about blockchain in the UAE. And I'm so, so happy to see that we're becoming a bit of a, a magnet to attract the right conversations. Mm -hmm. You said you were here recently for a conference. And I'm sure perhaps you were surprised at the variety of viewpoints from a variety of sectors that were all somehow descending on this one tiny little city that's a speck of dust on the map and talking about global change of, of how the internet will transform in the next 10 years or digital will transform, user experiences will transform in the next 10 years. And almost nobody is exempt. I found it really fascinating as to the people that were actually at the event. Uh, that's what for me, I mean, right now we are going through a little bit of a, a downward turn if, if you're focusing on prices. Now I'm a trader, so I do focus on prices, but I'm a trader, so I can go long and I can go short. What, what really right. in Dubai was, uh, for me, I'm looking at the business cases. I'm looking at where is this going? Blockchain's not going anywhere. Uh, I look beyond crypto. Uh, I'm looking at what the space is evolving into because I do genuinely believe that this is an opportunity that uh, is probably one of the biggest that will have seen it certainly in my time uh, i was a bit young for the dot-com uh <laughs> ramp and uh, i'm perfectly right. positioned for this one and I, I i'm intending on taking it and uh and basically building a complete future from it i love what it stands for i love what it does but in dubai the, right. the big business coming in and sort of saying okay so how do we incorporate blockchain into our current business and what does it mean to our business it was a mature audience of professionals and business people and that is what really made me think you know what you know despite what anything does price wise i'm in the right place and guess what i'm there at the right time so it was it was a really fascinating experience for me in dubai and i've um, i've made some good friends over there and we will definitely be back so just the forward thinking nature of not just the government but the people in business there it's almost like they're um you know jumping over each other in in a way to learn and and that yeah and that's some big business too right it's not just when i'm not just talking about like little nimble you know, 50 people companies or 10 people companies. No. I'm talking big, no. big, big business is really Absolutely. trying to be nimble and, and shift to what is coming and not just shift, but also help to create a platform for it. And that's oh, what's yeah. truly impressive in, uh, in Dubai at the moment from my point of view in the space. I'm so, I'm so glad you saw that because I think that energy is palpable in, in the city at the moment. And it's not losing steam. We're only sort of, it's, it's catapulting into something bigger. You know, the largest, the largest bank in the region, Emirates MBD, they've launched something called CheckChain. CheckChain is a blockchain-based uh, check reconciliation system that allows your reconciliation to go from a couple of days to a couple of seconds. And they've been toying with this as a, as a piece of tech for over a year now. The DIFC, 
which is the, the financial center of, of the region, which is a, I don't know if you know this, but it's an independent uh, sovereign uh, zone within Dubai with its own governor, with oh, its really? own laws, just completely separate, which is why 22 of the world's top 25 banks actually have regional headquarters at the DIFC. It follows international law. It's very, very different from, from the rest of the city. Now, the DIFC decided to set up something called the FinTech Hive, of which Zisha is a sponsor for the second year running. And they round up startups within the fintech space and marry them to banks and other financial institutions that are part of the DIFC. So this is, you know, this is wonderful. And we're, we're helping coach and advise 22 startups that are working within the space of blockchain at the moment to that really sort of one of them that, 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 that stands out for me is a company called Addenda. They do um, blockchain based um, insurance claims and fascinating because they're deploying it with a, an insurance provider, a top-tier insurance provider here to be able to experiment and see whether this is possible. At the government level, there is one project that is now live as of three weeks ago, which is the government reconciliation use case. So it's called the Dubai Play Blockchain Settlement Platform. And this is the first application of the blockchain platform. So Dubai government didn't just say, we're going to build a strategy, but the Smart Dubai office decided to build a platform and say, we're going to offer you blockchain as a service. So if you don't want to build it, you could just you could just use our Again. software as a service platform. Absolutely. Take our APIs, deploy. And the first one is this reconciliation for between governments, um, between government entities, where the reconciliation time used to be 45 days. Now it's two and a half seconds. Jesus. Well, it's it's like it just sounds like a giant. Like it sounds like Dubai is a giant blockchain tech AI incubator currently. And I mean, mm-hmm. anybody out there that's that's listening into this who's thinking of starting a business or runs their own business, that one of the keys to it is being able to pivot and act quickly. Dinosaurs mm-hmm. become extinct, and the world is changing very, very fast. We saw it in the blockbuster effect with Netflix. It's coming. Mm-hmm. It's there. It's real. It's true. Now we talked pre-interview uh, yeah. briefly. Uh, Danish, about yep. what you called the Kim Kardashian effect. I want you to elaborate <laughs> on that for us, please. Sure. I don't, I don't mind at all. I always find that to be a sticky situation there, but it I gets, it gets the, the attention. <laughs> it, it, it's a great analogy. Again, you're a great storyteller. We love telling stories here. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of using analogies myself, and I really like this one. So you're going to have to share it, I'm afraid, Danish. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Great. Thank you for the compliment. All right. So from a fair, fellow storyteller, the reason I refer to, to blockchain going through the Kim Kardashian effect is because Kim Kardashian is a phenomenon that everyone's obsessed with. A lot of people don't really know why. And in a few years, we're going to wonder what the hoopla was about to begin with. <laughs> and that is the analogy that I use around blockchain. Have we, do you remember a time in the last two decades where we got as excited about Microsoft Excel or about C++? Yeah. I, I don't recall. And I, I learned to code when I was 10 years old. Wow. I, I, I don't remember being that excited. And yet we talk about a database like it's the holy grail. And, and, and why is that? It's because the storyline around blockchain is so fascinating. Mm. You know, the, the emergence of, 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 a, of a completely anonymous person under a pseudonym, publishing a paper, sending it out to a P2P net sort of network on a mailing list and, and opening up the framework of, of Bitcoin. I mean, just the legend grows. <laughs> now, why is it that other currencies failed and this one stuck? It's because there was a grand story and that story stuck. And so we've picked up from that story and said, hey, this is real. I mean, we're creating wealth, an entirely different virtual level of wealth across the world. And so what is blockchain? Well, blockchain's powering it. 
But I think I think we're not going to care what powers our apps and our and our transactions in in five years or ten years. But what we are going to care about is how quickly things happen and why I don't need to wait for processes to to go through the 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 the, the series of sort of trust based barriers between entities, between countries, between organizations, and that's going to disappear because of blockchain. Um, so yeah, that's the that's the analogy there. But and I think much of the it's a very sexy story. <laughs> let's, let's let's be honest. The, the whole story of blockchain and the mystery around it. Where is it? Don't mm-hmm. know. Who is it? Don't know. What is it? Makes you rich. Wow! It, it, it really it really is a fascinating story. And um, you know, one of the things that we we spoke of as well before was how you know the internet is there. We we, we don't really know how it works. I don't know how it works. We just use it. It's mm-hmm. just something that is. And um, the space it's it's fascinating. It's growing. Where it goes, well, I don't think anybody yeah. truly knows. But one thing I do say with passion is that it doesn't go anywhere. Right. And that's blockchain I'm talking about. It's here I, to stay. I could not agree more. Uh, as eloquent as ever, Craig. I think that is that is correct. This is going to be powering so much of what we call transactions um, in the future. And I, I, I try to explain what blockchain is to a lot of people in conferences and a lot of sort of senior management or leadership, they are quite shy about asking the question, I don't get it. They just don't get it. So I always use the analogy of somebody handing over somebody a pen and you've got 10 friends sitting around the table and everyone takes note of that transaction and then you solve a math puzzle and then you fold that piece of paper, you put it in your pocket and then if somebody tries to tamper with one, there's nine other friends who have a copy of exactly the same thing. This methodology on steroids is what blockchain does. The moment you put it that way, people go, oh, I get it. So do you mean I could use this for ticketing? You mean I could use this for, for my container verification? You, you think I can use it for passport control? You think I can use it for, I mean, the, the, the possibilities limitless. start to emerge. Yeah, they're, they're limitless because anything that requires trust between organizations, that is where blockchain helps completely ease that off. But I think, I think one of the things that's, that's troubling to me is recently, I think IBM uh, launched a blockchain-based platform for Walmart to be able to for traceability for whether or not something is organic and and and, and so around their lettuce I think yep. I, I've forgotten the the mechanics of it but then I realized you know if it's one entity dealing with one vendor like IBM solving one problem then that's completely using a cannon to kill an ant mm. I mean it makes no sense. So I think that this is where we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves. Blockchain makes sense if you are going to unite players from different organizations who have no incentive to trust each other. This is something that I think is getting lost in the conversation around blockchain. It isn't just saying, hey, we've got a database within our company. Let's just blockchain the hell out of this. Well, why? I, I don't think you need to. So where we advise a lot of our clients is to be able to, to study the use cases and say, this is worth deploying blockchain on. And these are perfectly fine as they are because they don't need to change. You're adding a level of complexity which is completely unrequired. I think you hit the nail on the head there, mate. The uh, the why. Uh, a lot of people don't ask that question. Why is it here? I mean, <laughs> one of the things for, from my point of view, if I'm interviewing a project, I'm, my, my first thing is, right. who are you? Where are you from? Why are you doing this? Why does it need to be on right. the blockchain exactly? In the answer, 
to that question, right. you can work out pretty quickly. They, uh, 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 well, hang on. It doesn't need to be there. You're doing an ICO because you want to make some free money and fund yourself. You're doing the reverse business. You do usually 10 years in a business to actually make some money and to do well. Mm -hmm. Well, in this case with ICOs uh, and even STOs, depending on which way you want to look at it, but definitely mm -hmm. ICOs, mm -hmm. you do the reverse business model, which is you start with all the money and then you stop. <laughs> you know, you, you, don't, Absolutely. you start with a $50 million on day one and then you go, oh, I can't really yeah. be bothered with that idea. We'll now start a foundation <laughs> and we'll just invest in other things and become a very unqualified, average, useless fund. Um, and let's be real, that's, there's a lot of those out there right now. Um, Absolutely. I mean, let's Kickstarter for you all over again on, yeah. on at a grander scale. I mean, Kickstarter will tell you right off the bat that I'm sorry if the project does not go through. There's nothing we can do to guarantee that you get a refund, but they'll try their best to deliver the product that they promised. It's on you. Um, <laughs> it's on you. And so suddenly you're taking an entire generation of unqualified investors. By qualified investor, I mean the way that certain governments classify investors as being qualified. Mm. Um, so you've got people just funding out of their savings or out of their earnings and saying, I want to be an investor. And ICOs gives me an opportunity to do that, to become a real investor without all of the protocol that's associated with investing in real companies on the stock exchange. Yeah. But it's, I mean, that's going to, that's going to go away. Have you seen how regulated ICOs have started to become? Oh, so it's yeah. no longer as easy very as recently. Uh, very recently. I'm talking like less over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, I think something like 95% of all ICOs somehow will qualify to get regulated mm -hmm. in in the United States, and that's going to that's going to push a lot of people away from this this mad mad sort of rush. In some ways, it's tragic because we we weren't able to really create this alternative to 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 the to the large investment firm backed culture of raising uh, money for entrepreneurs but on the other hand i think we've got far too many hidden misses or, or where to, to be able to trust this and say no if it's an ico it's legitimate well that's um, right. the, I, this the, the space is interesting to see it's like giving a child a burning stick and hoping for a good outcome you know it's, it's not gonna happen <laughs> and and you know yeah. the, the market was the, was the child and the burning stick was the ico uh, and the problem is, is, that. is that the kids have, have run around, they've all got burnt hands or they've burnt their parents or they've burnt the whole house down now. And, mm -hmm. and now the regulators are coming in and going, well, okay, we gave you your stick because you wanted one. Now, look at what happened, everybody. You all got burnt. A couple of people didn't get burnt because they threw the stick at you and they ran away. But most of you got burnt and now... Papa's going to come in and teach you a couple of lessons on how to stay alive. And, and that's sort of where it feels like at the moment. And that, I think the market tried to do that with the STO, and that seems to be the latest thing going on at the moment. And it makes sense because it's a security token, so therefore it falls under security law. Um, and they can sort of get around in, in, in that regard. But, um, yeah, I, I, there is change coming, and change is good. You know, change change, is good. change means we're alive. Change means something's happening. Change only occurs when there's a beating heart. And right now in this marketplace, it is getting a bit of a flogging. Uh, as we speak right now, Bitcoin has had a, a fairly decent tumble, but the heart is still there. The heart is still real and it's yeah. still beating. And change will occur. We just need to make sure that we are nimble, that we listen, learn, and we educate ourselves, become responsible, and we hold, hold ourselves accountable for the decisions that we make because, um, you know, we're not babies with burning sticks anymore. We're at least toddlers. <laughs> <laughs> 
Absolutely. I love that. That's uh, so so I think I'll let you use the the Kardashian analogy if I could use your burning stick analogy. Deal. So I think we have a deal. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Dennis, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're an incredibly busy man doing what you do. I'd love for you to let the listeners know where they can find out more information about you and what you're doing. Sure. Um, thanks again for having me, Craig. I think the best way to to keep up with what we're doing is to is to Google us and you can find a variety of ways of, of connecting with us. It's X-I-S-C-H-E dot com. That's the URL. That's the gateway to everything that we do. Or you could look uh, me up on, on LinkedIn or other channels and keep up with some of the things that we're doing. We are quite active in promoting the change that we stand for and therefore are quite privileged as well to be able to share the stories as we build them with the partnership of incredible, incredibly forward-thinking governments like the UAE and, and Dubai. So, yeah, Craig, thanks again. This has been an incredible pleasure. No worries. Thank you so much, Danish, for your time. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed that. I certainly did. We'll uh, speak again very soon. Bye for now. The Trader Cobb Crypto Podcast is hosted by Craig Cobb. All Trader Cobb courses, products, and tools can be found at tradercobb.com because experience matters. This show is proudly sponsored by Coinspot.com.au, with the largest range of cryptocurrencies anywhere in the Australian market. With an updated verification process, you can now be verified using only your driver's license or passport within seconds. You can instantly deposit funds and instantly start buying and selling your favorite cryptocurrencies in under five minutes. Coinspot are giving away $10 worth of free Bitcoin for each verified user once they make their first deposit. Just go to coinspot.com.au forward slash BTC123. Views are of the advertiser, not Trader Cobb or the audio presenter.